Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello, ladies. Hello, everyone. Ladies. Coming up on today's show, Bradley Cooper and Irina Shake are back on, and we would like to know if we are the only ones that care about that. <laughs> Plus, rumours about Phoebe Bridges and Paul Meskel being engaged, veering into conspiracy theory territory. Johnny Depp makes a controversial appearance at Rihanna's Savage X Fenty show and drama at the finale. <laughs> of the block. <laughs> then, of course, we need to talk about Selena Gomez's new documentary and why Selena fans have such a problem with her best friend, Raquel. Ah. First, Michelle, how was your week? It was a good week. I'm getting to that stage where I am kind of toing and froing. Do I check the 14-day weather forecast before my wedding? Do I not check the 14-day weather forecast? Because it's the weekend after this one. It's the weekend after this one. And a lot of people keep coming up to me and going, oh, the 14-day forecast doesn't look good. And I have to keep going, we don't look at that. We don't believe that. We don't take that on at all. Well, you told me it's not a science. Well, I did Google it. And apparently for all the other brides-to-be out there or just anyone maybe with like a birthday party coming up or anything. Or or a general interest in weather. (laughs) Hello. Jane Bunn on the show, I Zara McDonald. I like the weather and I think it's an underappreciated art form. Now, off you go. Well, well science. It's actually not out at all. <laughs> when I started talking to you about this this week, you go, I'm glad you brought that up. I did listen to an entire podcast episode about the Bureau of Meteorology. <laughs> <laughs> we don't say bomb anymore. No, we say no. the Bureau. Thank you. You do love weather. Yes. Just so in general. That's why I liked your tidbit when you told me, and I actually said this to Ollie this morning, and he told me <laughs> that he didn't believe this, so I need to fact check it with you, that the 14-day forecast is not a science. They actually just average historical weather data. It's like an algorithm that they look oh. at past years, apparently, and then they just... It's like a guesstimation, but I was looking at different studies, and they said, do not look at weather forecasts. They are worth nothing until about eight days out. So that made me breathe a sigh of relief, and I am just hoping, if you're a meteorologist, actually, 
maybe slide into my DMs. Give me a personalized update. Is my wedding going to be like rainy or am I going to get sun? I'd yeah. love to hear. Pay them for their work. <laughs> you will get paid. We'll pay you from Shameless Media if you'd like a cashy on the side. Maybe we introduce on the show every week we have a meteorologist on. Zara gets a kick out of it just for a weather but, update. No, but I don't need an expert. I've, you are the expert can, according to you. I can, no, I don't think I'm the expert. I think I can read the information <laughs> and explain it to people. Okay, That's all I will say. What are you recommending this week? I have a bit of a niche one. My sister's told me to watch an Australian story episode. It's called Getting Heavy. It's with Parkway Drive. Have either of you heard of Parkway Drive? You're giving me bless. You are giving me the... Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought that I, was normal. And what do they do? They what do kind sort of, of music. Isn't it more heavy metal stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that's all I really know. And do you know where they're from? They're Australian. Well, yeah, because they're on Australian. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew that as well. Interesting. Well, Annabelle was giving me a very blank look. I do not know them. It's a really interesting episode. It opens by saying they're perhaps Australia's biggest music export that no one's ever heard of. Like they're in the heavy metal scene. So unless you're of that vibe, you probably don't know about them. Are you a heavy metal fan? I'm not, but I just thought we all knew about Parkway Drive, <laughs> truthfully. <laughs> well, this episode I think you would love if yeah, you have nice. background info on them because I had never really heard of them, had no idea what their kind of story was. But their story is fascinating. In fact, they take the ABC into their group therapy sessions because wow. the band almost broke up. And they almost broke up because money was very, very complicated. They were paying certain band members different amounts of money over the last 20 years. Ooh. And certain band members didn't know that they were being paid differently oh. to like the lead singer or the the kind of guy who does one instrument, but also manages the band, like all very complicated. There are some personal life details that are shared in the doco as well that made me cry. Like I did not expect to be recommending a documentary episode on a heavy metal band on Shameless, but I adored this. And I think everyone would find it fascinating. Even the celebrity angle of how bands and like the dynamics kind of work. I think I'll forever be interested in that, no matter who the band or where they come from or how big they are. Like how that dynamic functions when people get famous and rich Mm. will always be interesting because I don't know how you stay together and have really healthy relationships amongst it all. Yeah, and being in their group therapy sessions, you realise how honest they are with each other. And there's also just some really candid moments where different bandmates accept that they were assholes for 10 years and that they treated other people in the band really terribly. I just really recommend it. Go watch it on ABC iview. It is a fascinating, fascinating watch. Good rec. Thank you so much. What about you? What are you recommending? I am going to recommend a podcast that I've just started listening to. It is Business of Fashion's The Debrief Podcast. I don't know if you guys have seen it around. It's not actually been hugely on my radar and it's for that reason, a gem because you go into the river of all the shows that you can now Mm. binge. Now, obviously, Business of Fashion covers fashion. We don't talk (laughs) about fashion that much on the show, but I really like this podcast. One of the episodes I want to recommend is What Makes Jacquemus So Successful. They're about 30-minute episodes and they'll go into these specific designers or these specific brands and explain why they're so big and how they've got to where they are. And I think what the reason I really like this because I know it doesn't sound super exciting or super gritty, is because sometimes I think the fashion industry is a bit exclusionary. Yes. I think if you're not in it or if you're not working in it, but you have an interest in it, a lot of the journalism around it, and I appreciate this might be a sweeping generalization, expects a lot of assumed knowledge. Yeah, it's like you either are like preternaturally obsessed with fashion and know every little thing, or you're made to feel like you don't know enough, therefore this isn't for you. Yeah, you're in the outer. Like if you don't know every designer to ever exist, then this is not for you. Yes. And I think this podcast is amazing because 
because if you actually do like fashion but don't have that nitty-gritty understanding of it all, this is a beautiful place to start. I will be listening to that podcast. That's a great rec. You're very welcome. Now, let's jump straight into the quick and dirty because we have a lot to cover today. We do. Should we just go one for one? Yeah, you start. Start me off. Because this is one of your favourite stories for the week. Okay, well, (laughs) I already feel defensive about it before I read out the headline. The headline is... Picture exclusive. Back on Bradley Cooper, 47, and Arena Shake, 36, confirm they've rekindled their romance as they pack on the PDA during New York City stroll. That is from the Daily Mail. I care about this story. Annabelle? Yes, I do care. I care. <laughs> I care because I, this is random. But I was like, I, uh, she tied to this. Is chair. Annabelle home today? <laughs> because I love the Star Is Born. Is yes. that random? Thank and then all you. that drama happened around that time with Bradley Cooper's marriage. So I feel like this is exceptionally good important. stuff, Annabelle. Annabelle, I'm so glad you said that because when I turned to our office yesterday, when we were kind of deciding what stories to cover, I asked the rest of the team. I was like, Arena Shake and Bradley Cooper, and just got blank stares from everyone. So so glad to know that I'm amongst fans now. The details of this story are that supermodel Irina Shayk and, of course, Hollywood actor Bradley Cooper split three years ago. They had a very high-profile split. They are officially back together. We know that thanks to the pap shots of them walking about New York on Monday where they were very affectionate. They were cuddling each other, kind of nuzzling into each other, doing that thing, dare I say, that new couples do where you're out on a walk and you can't really keep your hands off each other. They've clearly got that new couple kind of affection going on, which is exciting. But the reason I care about this story is that these two were first together in 2015. They had a daughter together. And those Lady Gaga, A Star Is Born rumours were reportedly the reason that they split in 2019, Zara. Yeah, exactly. And I think we all remember those like incredibly, I'm going to call them sensual performances between between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga when they were in character and everyone was like oh my gosh there there simply must be this insane chemistry that would be hard to watch if you were a partner well they were almost Mm. making out at the 2019 Oscars while Arena Shake was in the audience watching on in that gold dress and I remember thinking at the time let them act let them have this mature (laughs) relationship but I think what didn't help those rumors right was that pretty soon after that Irina and Bradley announced that they were breaking Yeah, so the Oscars were in Feb. There were rumours that Irina and Bradley Cooper weren't really being seen together a lot in the months after. And then by June that year, we got the split announcement with some sources speaking to the likes of like People Magazine and Vanity Fair and stuff saying it's been a tense time. Like the rumours were really difficult to deal with. I cannot imagine, even if my partner's an actor, I understand that you want to be mature and like observe that that's their craft and that's their art. Imagine sitting in the audience at the Oscars watching that performance where your fiancé or your long-term partner, the father of your child, is that affectionate with another woman? Like, it would be very, very difficult. And then add on top of that, all the headlines saying Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper have the most chemistry. Are they fucking off camera? Like, Yeah, it would be tough. And actually, that kind of leads me to what I think could be an interesting Your Say Friday question for tomorrow is like, does your partner have a job that you have to like be mature about? Mm. Like, are there uncomfortable elements to it? Because... I would be terrible if I'd my partner so was an actor. And the thing about acting is, that, as you say, it's all arty and you have to appreciate <laughs> the craft, but I'm so Im- I'm immature. I am. <laughs> I am. I do wonder. I know this is like the nicheest reference, but I was when I was watching Conversations with Friends with Joe Alwyn. Yes. I was wondering how Taylor Swift does with that. Thank you, Annabelle. Clearly you thought the same thing. I was thinking this. Yeah, because he's having some very hot sex with 
people on conversations with friends. When I was watching that, I was like, I wonder if Taylor Swift watches this or if she kind of walks out of the room for the sex scene. Well, yeah, I hope she answers your question. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, you'll say Friday. (laughs) I wonder what she'll say. (laughs) Now, I also find it interesting because Irina was with, and I put that in inverted commas, Kanye in 2021. Remember when there were those pat photos of them together? Surely that was a publicity stunt. They were walking around Paris together. I don't know if it was a publicity stunt because Irina doesn't really seem like the kind of person to lean into the celebrity gossip media, truthfully. And sources close to Bradley came out and said, she's my co-parent. I'm really happy for her that she's dating someone new. So I think that story was legit, but I only think she was dating Kanye for maybe a month or two. By the way, this was before a lot of the controversy with Kanye West Uh, that's transpired since. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cute story. I care. Great. I I care care too. And I think let's poll the people tomorrow. And if you don't care, don't tell us. I'm happy with above, above 70%. I'll be stoked with. (laughs) Above 70% of people caring? Yes. Oh, that's the percent of the bar way too high. I was going to say above 50. (laughs) Now, our second story. Hilary Duff shares heartfelt message about the late Aaron Carter. That is from Elle magazine. Yeah, former teen heartthrob Aaron Carter, who was, of course, a pop star in his own right, but also the brother of the Backstreet Boys, Nick Carter, was found dead at home in Southern California this weekend. He was 34 years old. Now, there might be a bit of a generational gap or like a, we sometimes refer to it as like a semi-generational gap in the office, guys, where Zara and I will be obsessed with something as 28-year-olds, but the 25-year-olds in the room, like you, Annabelle, Mm -hmm. have no idea what's going on. Are you familiar or were you familiar with Aaron Carter? Not too well, but I recognize him from an episode of Lizzie McGuire or a couple of episodes he was in Lizzie McGuire. What about I Want Candy? Oh, yeah, the song. Yeah. Did he sing that? Yes. I didn't know that. He was the teen heartthrob. I had posters of Aaron Carter up in my room. I was absolutely obsessed with him. He started releasing music when he was just nine years old. His first four albums sold millions of copies. And as Zara said, I Want Candy and his other major single, Aaron's Party, went absolutely wild. Yeah, absolutely wild. Now, he was also in the headlines a lot in 2003 because he was dating Hilary Duff, right? He actually left Hilary Duff for Lindsay Lohan. So there was a bit of love triangle going on that made huge amounts of headlines back then considering they were all teenagers. It it seized my brain for like a good year. Yeah, now after superstardom and child stardom though, Aaron Carter did struggle. He entered a treatment facility in early 2010 to deal with some mental health battles. And those battles did continue on and off until his passing. Mm. On his death, Hilary Duff actually wrote on Instagram for Aaron, I am deeply sorry that life was so hard for you and that you had to struggle in front of the whole world. You had a charm that was absolutely effervescent. Boy, did my teenage self love you deeply. Sending love to your family at this time. Rest easy. Yeah, a super sad story. And I think a lot of people around the world will think right back to their teenage years or maybe their childhood years when Aaron Carter was the celebrity of the moment. So very, very sad to see how that child stardom ended up in the end. Our third story, are Phoebe Bridges and Paul Meskel engaged? That is from Vogue. Goodness me, there is so much going on this week when it comes to the murmurings about Phoebe Bridges and Paul Meskel being engaged. What is this story? I am so, I'm obsessed with it. Though. Me too. I love these two. I do think every time we mention them, we have to reintroduce them to the listeners because they are slightly more niche than the average celebrity we talk about. They oh, are. Michelle no, 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 no. Slightly more niche. I love them, but Phoebe Bridges has 2 million followers on Instagram, which is a decent chunk, but it's not 
enough for me to say that the average shameless listener instantly knows who Phoebe Bridges is. All right, this is. is actually a better poll. Do you care <laughs> more about Phoebe Bridges and Paul Meskell or Irina Shayk and Bradley Cooper? Absolutely Phoebe, Phoebe and Paul. Phoebe and Paul. <laughs> That's not a measure of how big a celebrity is. In fact, I it would say might... the niche you go, the more people go, well, I care more about that. Yes, but it might it might say a lot about how engaged our community is Phoebe Paul. Bridges is a huge She's musician. A anyway, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk very quickly about this, right? Because there have been rumours that these two have been engaged for a while now, but they are a relatively private couple. I mean, never forget, of course, that these two and their first interaction was on Twitter. Musician Phoebe tweeted in May 2020, <laughs> finished normal people and now I'm sad and horny. Oh, wait. What is the oh, wait so funny? funny. No, I've always nah, wondered. It's quirky. I love it. Now I'm sad and horny. Oh, wait. As in, because they're kind of like very, very different feelings. So she's like, oh, wait, lol. Yeah. What? I have, because this is such an iconic tweet that I think about all the time. Yes. I do have to agree with you, Michelle. I, I don't get I it. don't get the whole tweet. <laughs> now I am sad and horny. Oh, wait. Anyway. It would have been fine to just, I'm sad and horny. Yeah. Well, I, we might as well just cut it for pace. <laughs> now I am just sad and horny. To which Paul replied, I'm officially dead. She then replied to that saying, no, don't die. You're so talented. Ha <laughs> ha. I love the ha ha. And then he replied, too late dead with a meme of someone falling off a couch. It is the most wholesome but kind of daggy Twitter interaction. And kind of sexy, dare I say. Yeah. Yeah, kind of sexy. Sensual. And, and sen- very very sen- sensual. And then, of course, they did that Instagram live together and Annabelle witnessed them falling in love because you watched it live. I loved that interview. They were so cute and awkward and it was just, oh, my heart. And, and now they're like fully in love. Now, when it comes to this story this week, the rumours all started when Paul was interviewed for The Guardian, which is a great profile, by the way. He sounds absolutely delightful. And in that story, <laughs> he was talking about how he had to quit social media. And here's a passage from that piece, and this is what confused everybody. <laughs> Meskel did, however, stay on social media long enough to exchange charged messages on Twitter and Instagram with the musician Phoebe Bridges. The pair are engaged. So everyone was like, wait, what? Because <laughs> we've been talking about this for a while we thought maybe someone said it at a concert, but we we weren't sure. He must have confirmed it to the Guardian, right, Mish? Yeah, he, he four must have words said, said so simply. Not it's reported. Not like he suggests to me that the pair are engaged. The pair are engaged. Stated as fact. Exactly. But then half a day later, <laughs> sadly, the narrative turns. The cut had to write this article. Paul Meskell and Phoebe Bridges might not be engaged after all. So what actually changed? <laughs> well, the Guardian piece changed. They quietly updated their piece to change that line to they are reported to be engaged. What has happened here? This I'm is a desperate weird, to know. This is weird. Like, The Guardian's a pretty reputable publication. Either the journalists got it wrong and reported something as fact when really it's just a rumour Maybe Paul told the journalist that they are engaged, but he and Phoebe don't want that out yet. So he was under the impression that would be off the record, then was upset when it was published, and then it was kind of tweaked after the fact. Like, what else could have gone on here? I think in my mind, there are only those two options, that the journal was told, but was told it was off the record, or the journal had seen and heard these rumours and accidentally took them as fact. If you're giving the journal the benefit of the doubt, you say it's the latter, but I'm actually more inclined to believe it's the former, that he just thought the rumours were true. Yeah. Well, maybe this journalist doesn't know the fandom around these two so much. As I said, it is kind of (laughs) niche. Maybe he doesn't know and therefore 
ran into this not but knowing the absolute tizzy it would cause. You're doing a profile on Paul Meskel, though. You're not going to understand that. I don't know. Very confusing. I mean, the most important question here, of course, is do we think they're actually engaged? Yes. I think so. There's I been think... too many things now. No, no, they're, de- sorry, they're definitely engaged. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we're clear. You heard it here first. The Guardian, any other reputable publications, confirmed they are engaged. They have to be engaged. You don't have this much chatter, I feel. Well, where does it come from? Yeah. Where does, like, you don't just pluck this from thin air and yeah. it runs off. Like, where there's smoke, there's fire. Can I quickly sidebar? You absolutely can. Phoebe used to date someone in her band. Yeah. And now they're all friends. I like, think you Paul, told us this before. Do you think that's weird? I think this is similar to the Lady Gaga <laughs> Arena Shake thing. We're like, they're all friends now. Mm. I, I, would I, you I be would able struggle. to do it? I, I would yeah, struggle. Again. I would struggle if they go away touring. And I'm the partner left at home and they're off doing like sexy fun tour stuff together. I think we call that sensual fun tour stuff. (laughs) Sensual fun tour stuff. Uh, Yeah, I would love to pretend I wouldn't care. I would love to lie. I'm just not that (laughs) mature. Truthfully, I'm really not. I cannot lie to the listeners. I I refuse to lie to the listeners. (laughs) I would struggle. But good on them. I have so much respect for it. Yeah, good on them. Far more mature than we could ever be. (laughs) Our fourth story. Yes, unfortunately, the Johnny Depp, Savage X, Fenty rumours were true that is from glamour so last week news broke that johnny depp was appearing in rihanna's fourth savage x fenty fashion show which aired on amazon prime on wednesday so by the time you're listening to this yesterday for a while all we had were those reports no one really knew what to make of him a lot of people were like this cannot be true like categorically there's no way this could be true yeah i think people were kind of hoping it wasn't going to be true tmz initially reported that depp was going to become the first man to have his own like spotlight segment as they called it at the fashion show now since it debuted in 2019 the fenty fashion show has become arguably one of the most recognizable events in fashion it took over victoria's secret easily the show features music and dance performances by models artists and also special guests now i feel like rihanna kind of took what we learned about victoria's secret and reimagined what a Mm. fashion event could look like now after this initial report as you say people were kind of like well if he's in it what is the special appearance and what does it look like then media got their hands on pre-screeners and enemy was one of the outlets who saw an early press screening of the show and this is what they reported was what his role was and this is a passage from their piece in the show Depp appears for approximately 40 seconds wearing a dark colored loose fitting jacket and trousers with a patterned vest top and multiple necklaces Depp appears from behind a tree as a troop of performers dance around him his hair is tied back in a ponytail and he has a goatee he walks slowly across the set which is filled with smoke and lit brightly towards another tree and hugs it Outcasts 2001 hit single So Fresh and So Clean plays in the background. The camera cuts to the next part of the show. What do you guys make of this? Obviously, we need to acknowledge one thing. Rihanna is a survivor of domestic violence. So I think that makes this story slightly more complicated than it would be otherwise. But this is just so inexcusable to me. No matter what you think of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, there is evidence out there that suggests this is not a man who should be spotlighted. Whether you think Amber Heard was the worst party in that marriage or you think Johnny Depp was. At the very least, like the texts that he sent people about Amber Heard and what he wanted to do to her and the violence and the vitriol in those text messages should at a very basic level be enough for us to say this is not a man who deserves a spotlight in a fashion show as if he's some kind of hero. I am stunned, like truly truly stunned as to why Rihanna and Savage X Fenty would give him this moment. Yeah, I think when uh, we were talking about it in the office when the news broke, I remember thinking and saying, 
This is just like really avoidable. You don't have to do this. Hmm. Like the fashion brand doesn't have to do this. Rihanna doesn't have to do this. I feel like by doing it, it is sending a real message, which is I kind of fuck you to all the allegations that are out there about Johnny Depp. Like truly, I think it has to be. I think if you're choosing to put him in a literal spotlight on this show, that's kind of where you want to sit on the issue. Yeah, and you might say, well, the Virginia jury said that zero acts of domestic abuse could be proven. Let's not forget that a UK judge found that 12 separate acts of domestic abuse or wife beating, in quotation marks, could be proven. So even if there's a grey area, like even if there's a question mark, why are we doing this? Yeah. And for me, I think, truly, I think it's emblematic of... The culture shifting. I do think, and I think we talked about this with Leah Michelle stories earlier in the year, there is this kind of anti-PC rhetoric that's coming out. Don't tell me what I'm allowed to say, who I'm allowed to work with, how I'm supposed to live in the public eye. I truly think Rihanna is reacting to a cultural shift that is kind of a backwash of PC gone mad over the last four years. I wouldn't actually go that far if I'm honest. I think this is far more of a rich people in the industry protecting each other if i'm honest how though she is a billionaire that she has built a brand i know she to make it to... culturally relevant it's to weird. this point it's really weird considering i think i'm actually mostly confused i think if i was to nut down my overwhelming emotion it is confusion because she's done so much work to be at the forefront of so much stuff and to be subversive in a lot of ways, but in a progressive way. This feels subversive in a backwards way. I mean, what's also really interesting about this is in all the articles that I've read about this, there's kind of one celebrity that seems to be properly Mm. coming out rejecting to wear Savage X Fenty clothes going forward. And it's the singer Ollie Alexander of Years and Years who also starred in that show we loved, It's a Sin. Oh, one of my favourite shows ever. Yes, but I'm surprised, I guess, as well, that of all these articles, we're only really focusing on one person who's saying Mm. I'm not wearing these clothes anymore or anything like that. As we said earlier, it's definitely layered given Rihanna's experience, but also a very confusing story for a lot of people. Yeah, I think regardless, I would love to know what the discussions were behind the scenes at Savage X Fenty because they've purposefully done this, of course. They've made this decision for a reason. And I would love to know exactly what that reason is. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Our fifth story, the block winners and Scott Cam respond to rigged auction claims. That is from Yahoo. Now, it was certainly a controversial finale of the block this year, which has now been running for 18 seasons. Is that like the longest running reality show in Australia? It's got to be up there. Survivors run for a while, but I don't know if I'm conflating international with local. (laughs) But anyway, it's pretty insane. Now, when it comes to this season of The Block, you could argue it was one of their toughest seasons in recent memory. Three houses sold, two were passed in, and only one duo made any real sizable cash in the context of how much money people made on the block yeah that duo that won were winners omar and oz who took home 1.686 million dollars <laughs> which included a hundred thousand dollars of prize money that would have just been a kick in the heart of everyone who won no money it's like here's 1.5 oh no let's bump it up to 1.6 <laughs> it's insane in second place was rachel and ryan who took home 169 thousand dollars And in third place was Tom and Sarah Jane who pocketed $20,000. Now, they were pretty transparent about the fact that that prize money didn't even cover their costs of being on the show. Yeah, I mean, you have to put your whole life on hold. You have to stop going to work. $20,000 for months and months and months. 
of yeah. work is not enough. No, it's not for them. And I think they were also self-aware to say, we want a car, we will sell off the car, we will be okay. And they did a, a beautiful post on social media, I don't know if you guys saw yes. it, that kind of put everything into perspective quite beautifully. But there's no denying that would be disappointing, as you say, for a couple that have put their family's life on hold. For now, sure. clearly not a good housing market for the block this year. They decided to mix it up with a tree change in Macedon. Scott Cam's house kind of got renovated too at the same time. <laughs> Lord knows how he negotiated that into his contract. Scotty Cam. Props to him. <laughs> anyway, controversy has arisen because people are claiming that Omar and Oz rigged the auction by having a friend of a friend, quote unquote, dummy bid to drive up the price of the property. Now, these two were interviewed on Fitzy and Whipper about the rumours on Monday and they said the rumours couldn't be further from the truth. This is what they said. We reached out to everyone that Oz and I knew and we asked so many people to come through and see the house. This is a quote from Omar. We actually reached out to a mutual friend. They kind of suggested that he might be interested and he wanted to come and have a look at the house. And when he did come, he absolutely loved it. Scott Cam also rejected the story about dummy bidding to mm. draw up the price. He said, if the boys organised a dummy bidder to push that up to $5 million, well, that's a strategy, isn't it? And it's an auction. And of course, if Danny had have stopped, then he would have had to have bought the house. So that's not a dummy bidder, that's a bidder. That Danny is the other bidder in the auction, Who of ended up actually buying the house. Danny is the quirky guy on every season who ends up buying every house. So- for 0.66 cents. Yes. And it looks <laughs> yeah. like now the block is literally like the success of the block depends on one eccentric millionaire yeah. who will either buy every house or buy zero. And when he buys none, they tend to all get passed in. Yeah. The only houses bought this year were bought by this one eccentric millionaire. Yeah, he's only been in the last couple of seasons as well. Like he's actually a relatively new face. I mean, you and I had very different ideas about this mm. block controversy, didn't we? I was sitting here watching this controversy unfold, being like, what's the problem here? It is a public auction if you know people and if you the whole idea when it comes to an auction is to network your way to get a sale I honestly feel like that's literally all they did and as Scott Cam said if you've got someone in their bidding and they're willing to pay the price that's not dummy bidding that's fine to be fair I watched probably half of this season I would dip in for the Sunday episodes which are truthfully (laughs) the the only ones worth your time because they do the room reveals and recap everything that happened in the weekend yes I watched this and the best house in my opinion was absolutely Omar and Oz I think they absolutely deserved to win their house was stunning so I want that to be on the record absolutely very clearly I'm so happy they won do I think it is potentially unfair or unsportsmanlike for people to use their personal connections to give themselves a leg up in auctions? Yeah, I think it's kind of unsportsmanlike. Am I surprised that people were kind of outraged? No, because Omar and Oz were stoking this fire. They were posting selfies or the guy who was bidding up and getting Danny to bid $1.5 million over the reserve They were posting selfies with him in a pool. There are paparazzi shots of them hanging out together a couple of weeks before the auction. Am I surprised that people are looking on going, well, that's not entirely fair. You might not have rich friends that you can rope in or call and say, hey, come buy my house. I get the outrage or I get the frustration. I still think they deserve to win, but I think it would be ridiculous to say, guys, remove the emotion. Nobody should give a shit. They were intentionally trying to get us to be riled up. I think it's just interesting because I'm just like, this is the game. Like, I agree with you to some level. It's like, oh, not everyone has rich friends. But then also that's life Mm. like it's like any like I think the whole thing about this show is it it is real life like it is auctions it is about who you know it is about who's going to buy that property 
with the block, I've often found that the best house doesn't win because you often just find one really passionate buyer that wants you. Often Danny. <laughs> yeah, but truly. And so for that, I was kind of like, who cares? So I think much it, outrage. I think it's somewhere mm. in the middle, right? I don't think they should be stripped mm. of their no. winning title. It's not <laughs> like I'm sitting here saying, take the money back. They don't deserve it. I hope they enjoy that one point. I'm almost sure they win million. I'm sure they'll fucking love it. Am I surprised that people are like, well, that's a little annoying or that's not the most sportsmanlike behavior in the world? No, it's somewhere in the middle. Grey, grey area. Annabelle, where, what are you sitting on this one? It's just funny because I had not heard anything about this story <laughs> up until this yeah. point. I agree with you both. I don't think it's fair, but also life is not 100%. <laughs> life is not Take fair. Take it from us, guys. Life's not fair. Coming up after the break, we need to talk about Selena Gomez's documentary. But first, a word from today's sponsor. It feels like every year we get a big blockbuster celebrity documentary at the moment. In 2020, it was Taylor Swift. In 2021, it was Billie Eilish. And this year, for 2022, it was Selena Gomez's turn. Her documentary with Apple TV Plus was released last Friday and commentary has flooded social media ever since. In fact, the internet is downright obsessed with the nature of Selena's female friendships and we have a lot to unpack about the narratives online. We have all watched the documentary in full. Zara, I would love to hear your gut reaction to the doco and your main takeaways. Well, firstly, I want to say there's nothing I love more than a celebrity documentary. They are so fascinating from like a PR propaganda perspective. For sure. They're they're always so interesting to me. Now, I think what I liked about this documentary is I did think it gave a relatively detailed picture about her battle with mental health. And when Mm. I say detailed, I didn't feel like they went very granular with the details, but I also don't think they had to. I think the sense that I got from Selena is that she'd been to hell and back dealing with her mental health. Mm. I think that became very, very clear. And you definitely feel for her watching that to think how someone has been through the kinds of things that she's been through with her mental health is, is really hard to watch. I think you can really see how it's affected her over the years. I also really liked in this doco that it actually gave a more complex picture of who Selena is. There's a scene towards the end where Selena's talking to her best friend Raquel and they're talking about maybe misconceptions about Selena Gomez and Raquel said to her, I feel like people think you're like this all-American girl and that they would be surprised about how complex you are. How many layers there are to you. Yeah, and I thought that actually the documentary did that quite well and it was quite fitting that that scene was towards the end because I thought by that point, no, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like she's more complex than I've realised, more layered than I've realised and has grittier parts of her personality that she hasn't really shown the public before. I agree. I completely agree with that. I think that was absolutely like the heartland and the strength of this documentary. If anything, I think the filmmakers potentially did Selena a disservice with the way that they packaged that information and presented it. Like there was a montage sequence that if you've watched it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's maybe 10 minutes into the doco. Yeah where they're kind of trying to take the viewer on the journey of Selena's poor mental health. They're trying to show how it all unraveled while she was on one of her tours and how she was eventually hospitalized as well and had like a psychotic breakdown. She went through psychosis. And that is such powerful, searing storytelling already just by the facts. Like just tell us what happened. But instead the filmmakers 
gave us like dramatic sound effects and they they were doing this like black and white thing and there was just I don't know the way it was so heavily edited it made me think why did you need to put all this in like I already care so much I just want to hear from Selena but then once I've sat with it I'm like maybe she wanted that as kind of a a slight level of protection from the audience to be more guarded I think that was exactly right because I agree with you there was a level of over editing in those bits but then I also think there was interesting mentions of Justin and partying and drugs Mm. that were kind of voiced by news readers that they clearly wanted to include in the story, but she didn't want to be the one to say them. So I can see how it's like this double pronged thing. They also really skimmed over two years, right? Like we're obviously doing a scandal series right now and Justin, Selena and Hayley. And we know the timeline very, very clearly. Like we've laid out the timeline very clearly. I mean, we've been doing it for about three months. (laughs) It's basically a thesis by now. We've basically written a dissertation on (laughs) Selena Gomez's life. So it was interesting to watch this and see how they've conflated the events of two whole years together in a one maybe like a 30 second package and they've shown them to the viewer as if this was all in the same month or even the same incident when she had her first mental health crisis and when she was hospitalized or when she had lupus complications it was interesting to see how the timeline was very deliberately blurred in this documentary yeah and I kind of get that from a storytelling perspective I, I get it for brevity for sure but yeah it was really interesting to note the other thing that I forgot to mention at the top is obviously I said she's been you know, really through the ringer with her mental health, but also her physical health too. Like yes. those two things in tandem with each other would be incredibly hard. As I said, you can feel that watching it. I think one thing that I've been very surprised to not hear much about is how much of this documentary was spent focusing on one trip that Selena took to Kenya, where she seemed to spend time in Kenyan schools and with Kenyan women. Now, she went there with the We Charity, mm. a charity that was embroiled in a bit of a scandal with, Canadian politics and that is mentioned in the documentary. We simply won't get into the details. We're a celebrity show. As well, but certainly worth mentioning. And I think the saviour-like narrative of this documentary, I have to be honest, I didn't warm to. Oh, neither. Yeah, it made me feel a bit uncomfy. Yeah. Same. It felt like it was of another era. Like, you know those shows that we would watch in maybe 2010 that would position this celebrity as someone doing great work in Africa? Like, it just feels so saviory and it feels like the idea that Selena Gomez going to Kenya one time is going to completely change the lives of every woman that she met or every child that she met. It just feels like of another time, a time when we weren't so educated about why saviorism is a very problematic yeah. kind of narrative to wheel out. And truthfully, I agree with you. I'm, I'm surprised to not see this around more or maybe not criticized but at least analyzed or unpacked I, I like you google it and there's like not much that comes up at all and I was pretty stunned by that because I would argue that the majority of the film is rooted in this trip to Kenya because yes. she mentions it constantly throughout the documentary as something that's kind of completely changed her perspective or she, she constantly talks about how she does want to go back and, and do other kinds of work. And there's no doubt Selena Gomez clearly wants to do good work. Yes. But I think for me, the way it was framed as the most important part of her story and, and having a, including a scene where she says she wants to write a curriculum yes. for children on the other side of the world just left a little to be desired for me because I, I I think if you're going to say that, I think if you're going to sit down and say, I want to write curriculum for children that live a completely different life th- than I mm. do, and I'm not an expert in this field, 
I think I need a bit more detail on what exactly you plan to do with that. It was so interesting because you and I were kind of texting back and forth as we were watching with our reactions to things. You were a little bit ahead of me and you said, yeah. oh my God, wait till you get to the curriculum bit. And I was kind of like, okay, maybe she wants to establish a music curriculum for Kenyan children because she has a good background in music. Or maybe it's a drama curriculum for Kenyan children. It's never explained. And I think that to be a throwaway line from a Hollywood celebrity worth hundreds of millions of dollars just does not land for me. In what world are you qualified to establish an educational curriculum of any kind when you don't have any experience in education, first of all, but also from what I can tell, you've never worked or lived in Kenya. You've been on one trip. Yes, absolutely. And I think some people might be sitting here thinking, but she could employ the experts to do it and work with them. Say that. Yeah, I, I think I, I do kind of think if, if this stuff is going to be thrown out, I think I need the detail to make sure it's being done properly. It's also that classic thing of are we including these scenes in the documentary because they are genuinely helping these people or are we putting them in because they position Selena Gomez in a certain kind of way? Like, let's not forget these documentaries are very lucrative for celebrities. Billie Eilish was reportedly paid $25 million by Apple TV for her part in the documentary. I imagine Selena Gomez is of a similar status. I would say Billie Eilish. Bigger. Maybe more. So bigger. I would say she was paid minimum of 25 mil. Did any of that money go towards the kids who now have their faces in this documentary or the women? Like, I think that for me is a big question mark. Otherwise, if they're appearing in this for free and they're serving this narrative that Selena Gomez wants to change the world, I feel icky about it. I've got to be really truthful about that. Yeah, I would be surprised if they appeared for free. But again, I think it comes back to this point we've made now three times, which is if you're going to do these things be transparent you know yes. tell me the whole truth yes i found one passage really interesting from the daily beast kindle cunningham she is a columnist and she wrote on the documentary it's strange how selena's stardom goes under analyzed throughout the film while the filmmaker answers fans questions about her personal well-being the documentary inadvertently poses another does gomez actually like her job and why is she still in the business if it seems to cause her so much anguish the film lacks such clarity because it spends practically no time engaging with her craft as a singer actress or producer gomez answers the letter herself repeatedly stating that she wants to use her platform to help people this is a hard answer to accept on its face from a multi-millionaire with a makeup line i know that some people will be listening thinking that we're being particularly harsh and i want to be clear this documentary definitely serves an incredible purpose in the field of mental illness and mental health and i think selena has made strides in that area for so many people But I do agree with this. I find it difficult to stomach when a celebrity worth hundreds of millions gets up and says, my sole purpose in life is to help people. I think I would find it more genuine if they got up and said, I'm commercializing my talent. I am a celebrity. Yes, I am rich, but I am also going to try and help people despite also lining my own pockets because that's a more accurate representation of the situation to me. Also, like make your money. I have no issue with celebrities like doing these documentaries or launching their brands and getting rich, that's fine, you do you, but let's just be honest about what's actually happening maybe. Yes, and I think what's very interesting is some people who haven't seen the documentary might have seen a couple of these snippets rolling around on TikTok where Selena is doing interviews to promote her album and she's asked a question about what she wants to do next or what she's doing with her career and she says, you know, all I want to do is dedicate my time to philanthropy after my career. And the journalist sort of says, okay, thanks for your answer and then they get up. And then Selena sort of looks at the documentary camera and says, wow, really felt like she understood me obviously being sarcastic and she leaves that interaction and she said to her friends I feel like no one's listening to me I feel like I'm not being heard 
and feel I, like a product or yeah, like they're making an me yeah, an object. And yeah. I found it very interesting because I thought as a genuine question, can you use all these news outlets to try and publicize your album, which is work, and expect them to also care just as much about your philanthropy? Like if you want to talk wholly about the things that you want to do in your philanthropy, then do the interviews just about that. Yes. I think it's expecting a lot of a media industry to assume that if you're going there to promote an album, they're going to care just as much about charity work. Like, I think we have to be honest about that. And I did find that really, really fascinating. Mm, same. I think the other thing that's been fascinating to watch online is how people are unpacking Selena Gomez's female friendships. Of course, we cannot talk about this documentary without talking about the rumours mm. about the state of her friendship with her kidney donor and best friend, Francia Razor. Yes. Now, these murmurings began after Selena gave an interview with Rolling Stone to promote the documentary, right? So she's on the publicity tour for the doco. And she gives a quote to Rolling Stone where she says, I never fit in with a cool group of girls that were celebrities. My only friend in the industry really is Taylor Swift. So I remember feeling like I don't belong. Now, Francia Razor, who is an actor and in the industry, some of our listeners might remember her from the film Bring It On All or Nothing, actually donated her kidney to Selena in 2017. Now, Selena has since described that as a life-saving kidney transplant. However, Francia Razor was not mentioned in the documentary. She was, of course, not mentioned in that Rolling Stone profile. In fact, the only reference that we ever had to her or her involvement in Selena's life, which cannot be understated no. at all if you're giving an organ to someone, was that she was, and I quote, the girl who gave me a kidney. Now, that was played as like a snippet of something that Selena said in an interview, the girl who gave me a kidney. Again, I think it was a deliberate decision to not include the name Francia Razor in the film. That can't have been an accident. I don't think so. I think if the story was just that, I would sit here and be like, oh, I'm not really in the business of overblowing this. I don't know what the personal dynamic is between these two women. They've had an incredibly intense few years. I'm not going to read too much into it. However, when E then shared a snippet of that Rolling Stone interview that Selena did about Taylor Swift being her only industry friend on Instagram, Francia commented on the post saying, interesting. (laughs) So everyone was like, oh, no, we weren't wrong. There probably is something going on here. And then when a TikTok account then sort of made a video about the whole story and about the drama, Selena then commented on that saying, sorry, I didn't mention every person that I know. (sighs) By the time this had made headlines, Francia had unfollowed Selena on Instagram. What has to happen for you to go, uh, what, five years ago, giving a person your organ, like you love them so much you're giving them an organ, to unfollowing them on Instagram five years later. I'm truly baffled as to what could have gone so rotten in this friendship to have led them to this place. I'm also curious what you guys think. Do you think it's fair for Selena to comment, sorry, I didn't mention every person I know. Maybe just mention the people who gave you an organ. Well, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I kind of get what Selena's saying, but I think if I was her, you know, publicity manager, I would write something a little bit more earnest. To be like, I'm so grateful. I, Taylor's my only friend in this part of the industry. Obviously, I have all these other people that I love, 
not to mention Francia, who saved my life. Like, I think if I was advising her, I would advise something more earnest. But clearly that wasn't the case. Also, clearly she didn't want to mention her. No, Like, they sure. spoke about the kidney transplant in the documentary. It was spectacularly weird to not yeah. mention the fact that that kidney transplant was made possible by her longtime friend. Yes. What is got Like, what could possibly have gone on here? I don't, I don't have the answer. <laughs> Tell me, Sarah. <laughs> I feel attacked. No, I'm kidding. No, and then the other friendship that, Mish, we have to talk about because you and I have been so oh. fascinated by these. Is the one between Raquel, Selena's longtime friend, and Selena. Yes. Now, people who have watched this documentary are going wild on TikTok at the moment, saying that Raquel is a toxic friend. She's a red flag, walking red flag. No, and I I'm so confused because when I watched this documentary, I thought these two had a really healthy, productive friendship. Now, if you're wondering, okay, I kind of need an example here. Tell me what Raquel did that is making everybody else say that she's toxic. Here's the main snippet that people are using for context. Yeah, and a quick note before we give it to you. One, it's a little bit longer than we typically do for snippets on this show, but we think the context is important. The second thing you should know is the first woman speaking is Raquel. The second woman coming back to her is Selena. We have Marissa's birthday dinner. Maybe get that. Dean, I would give back. No, I'd rather do what I'm doing. I'm not going to that. I have to do shoot a music video the next day. Nice. I mean, it's a lot. It'll be good. It's no, it is good, but you know, you're going to be kind of messed up for a few days. Yeah, totally. Just thought you would want to come with us. I would, but I'm not going to have one day to adjust. Do you think that I'm complaining about my job? Yeah, you felt, you sounded like you were. Not at all. Raquel was saying I need to get rest. Not like it's a bad thing. Of no, it's not a bad thing at all. I was the, the way that you said it's not what you said. So I, I was not complaining about work. I was mm. literally just complaining that it'd be nice if I get more sleep. <clears throat> you think I'm ungrateful for it? No, I don't think I you're say. ungrateful. I just feel like you've been so up, like down kind of the past couple of days. So I just... I'm trying to figure out what's going on. We had the most amazing week in Africa. I know. I'm just waking up. You've heard me tell everybody how much I love London. Mm-hmm. What else do you want from me? Nothing. Okay. Now, as Zara said before we played that snippet, this is being used a lot on TikTok. It is the main example, apparently, of Raquel being an awful person <laughs> and an awful friend. One video of this exchange that literally comments in the caption, Selena definitely needs new friends, got more than 600,000 likes. Like we are not picking some niche opinion from the internet and saying, what the fuck is this? The mainstream opinion after this documentary is that Raquel is some awful person that Selena needs to cut out of her life. And truly... I'm feeling a little shaken by the whole commentary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean to make it like super personal, but I am so baffled. I'm so confused. You and I were like hacking ourselves because we were like, if people had a camera on our friendship, (laughs) we would both be cancelled. The way these two talk to each other is a carbon copy of how Zara, not to make me seem like I'm Selena Gomez or Raquel, but... It's how we speak to each other. Yes, it's being really honest with each other. Like Raquel's not a yes person. She's not sycophantic about her friend being a pop star, but that's because she's her friend. And I think when you have a real baseline (laughs) of respect and care with your friends and you've built that up over a really long time, the most productive and healthy dynamic that you have is one where you tell each other what you think. I think the unhealthy dynamics are when you bury things and pretend things are 
not on your mind. And you gloss over things. Like, yes, this is maybe a grittier conversation than we've seen in other celebrity documentaries, but it's still imbued with respect, I would say. Absolutely. And it's still always going to be imbued with care. There's no way. There's just no way. I was just... And the other thing that's very interesting that we need to note as well is Raquel was named as an associate producer on this project. Yes. She approved all of this stuff going in, likely because like you and I, Michelle... She thought it was fine. <laughs> I, I would not have known that this would cause the drama that it did. And I think as well, it's important to note, Raquel has been traveling with Selena for years, right? Like they are living together. They're working on TV shows together. They're obviously producing this film together. They are work buddies and friends all at once. And that is a different kind of dynamic. If you're traveling and living together for that long, you really do become like sisters. And to me, my sisters and I are far more brutal with oh each my other God. than this conversation. <laughs> and also, do we want pop stars to be surrounded by friends who just go, whatever you want, you've got a music video tomorrow, I totally understand. Like, we want them to kind of have friends around them who aren't always yes people and do push back and have a debate. I understand that Selena has lupus, so that is also one thing that we really need to acknowledge. Some people were saying Raquel's so disrespectful of Selena's lupus and her fatigue. That is incorrect. When you watch this film, there is a really heartfelt scene of Selena Gomez lying down in the back of a car with Raquel stroking her head and telling her, you need to take your medication. I know you don't want to, but it's really important that you do. She's a very, very loving friend from what I can tell. I'm getting way too personal. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like, I think it's like the way we make wide sweeping generalizations about the nature of the friendship of one conversation. And I think it does a disservice to all of us. I also think when people are making these wide and sweeping generalizations, they are willingly ignoring stuff that Selena herself has said about what she wants out of friendship. I mean, I found this quote that she said on season two of Raquel's Giving Back podcast about what she really values in a friend. She said, I think what I've learned over my journey specifically is that my friendships have really saved me in a huge way and it was because I was aware of who I was surrounding myself with. The people in my life are lovely people, people who have substance, who have normal lives, have priorities and responsibilities that I might not have. I have a different set of responsibilities and it is so wonderful and so important to be able to pick up the phone and call someone who you respect who aren't just going to tell you the things you want to hear. They are going to hear you, of course, and they're going to tell you how much they love you. But at the end of the day, if I make a mistake or I feel like I'm going down the wrong path mentally it is very important for me to pick up the phone and call someone I know and trust yes and is Raquel saying to her hey Selena maybe it would be really fun for you to go to your friend's birthday instead of working all the time and then sleeping working all the time and sleeping isn't that someone in her corner saying this could actually be good for your mental health like I've witnessed you over the yeah. last 10 years and I know that you're mentally thriving when you are spending time to enjoy friendship and enjoy the little moments in life isn't that a good friend I think what actually you know how you kind of joked that you're a little bit shaken I kind of was a bit too because <laughs> I honestly think we actually might not ever really want to and this was a real wake-up call for me and I've had a few of them over the years doing this job mm. I don't think we actually actually want to see the gritty and honest reality of female friendship. I honestly think there's a lot of content at the moment being made about female friendships and a lot of it is actually glossing over the reality of what they look like. I am also starting to wonder if the female friendships we see modeled to us in TV aren't actually the reality of what a lot of our female friendships look like. Because what I'm thinking about is when we started this podcast and we'd sort of crack jokes at each other and people would say to us, why are you so mean to each other? Oh, and Zara and Michelle hating each other was a big like narrative. Yeah. Emblematic of my loving female friendships. Mm. And I'm like, do we not have enough examples 
of the complexities of these female friendships to yeah. be able to know what a healthy one looks like. As if like what, so your stance, and I think I agree with this wholeheartedly, is that the female friendships we're seeing in the culture modeled to us are saccharine and, and sugary, sugary sweet, sweet and surfacy. I think they must be. Yeah, I agree. I think they have to be because otherwise these conversations aren't a thing. Like yeah. the conversations about Raquel and Selena just don't become a thing if we are properly modeled complex, realistic female friendships. I agree. I also think culturally we're at a place now where big, important, powerful terms are being misused in a pretty gross way. Yes. The word toxic, that should be reserved for toxicity. Toxic. Yeah. Like for people to hear that conversation and say that she's being toxic, I'm like, come on, we're being a little bit melodramatic and a little bit ridiculous now with the way that we're using these very important terms. Let's reserve toxic for behavior that actually deserves it. Well, let's not dilute the meaning of it as well. Like that does yes. a disservice to all of us. But I mean, when it comes to this documentary, I thought that was, that was actually one of my favorite parts is watching <laughs> Selena with her friends. Like I thought that was amazing. If I'm going to be honest, I wish I saw more of Selena doing the work, like in terms of singing, yes. acting, whatever yes. it might be. I wish I saw more of that process. We got a lot of that in other celebrity documentaries yes. recently. I really liked the mental health stuff. Probably could have gone without the Kenya stuff. That's my top line review. Absolutely love it. I completely agree. I feel really sorry for Raquel. She's had to disable comments yes. on her Instagram. People have been vile towards her. Hopefully one day she listens to this. I'm a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> She's got I a podcast. We can try to get her on. Imagine if we do a crossover. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you want to come and support the show, click follow on Spotify or follow on Apple or anything like that on the apps that you listen to. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Thanks, guys. Annabelle, anything to add? No. We'll be back in your ears next Monday. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.